Father, we just ask your anointing on Graham now as he brings your word to us. Father, we pray your Holy Spirit upon this place that you would open our eyes to your word. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Names in the Bible are nearly always significant. I know that in our age and in our day, you, I believe that names, every name in this room, every person with a name, was given that name according to God's sovereign will. There's no accident to your name. Uh, but in the Bible, they have such an incredible prophetic meaning to them. For example, Abraham. Abraham means father of a multitude. Did you know that? Father of a multitude. It talks about his covenant blessing from God. Moses comes from the Hebrew word Moshe, which means drawn from the water. And of course, Jesus, Yehoshua, means what, Garth? God will save. It means Yah will save. Isn't that incredible? Names always have a meaning. And so each biblical name of God that we study in this church teaches us something very important about God's nature and God's character. And so this name in Genesis 16:13 is no different. El Roi, El Roi, which is you are the Lord, or you are God rather, who sees me. It's no different. It teaches us something about God. And I, I hope and pray that today's message is going to be an encouragement to many of you. The name was given to God by this slave, an Egyptian slave named Hagar. She was given to Abraham, as we read, by Sarai. And Abraham went in to Hagar and she conceived. And we, we read then that there was a dispute between them, that Sarah said she began to look disdainfully upon her. And therefore Sarai began to mistreat her. And Hagar runs away. She flees from Abraham and she is found out in the wilderness. She's tired, you can imagine. She's pregnant at the time. There's no water. And you can imagine she's probably quite angry and frustrated with how she had been treated. And it's here, out in the wilderness, where the angel of Yahweh appears to her. It's in the wilderness where God comes to her. And he comes and says to her, go back. Go back to your mistress, Sarai. Submit to her. And you will have a son who should be called Ishmael. Which means God will listen. Because God has heard Hagar's misery. How many of you understand God still listens today? God hears your misery. God sees your trials and comes to you in the wilderness. Many believe that this angel of the Lord that visits Hagar in the wilderness was none other than Christ. 
Isn't that incredible? Hagar is overjoyed at this word she receives from God. She's deeply moved and she says to the angel of the Lord, You are El Roi, for I have now seen the one who sees me. God saw her, didn't he? God saw her in her misery, in her trials, and he watched over her, even as she fled out of the camp of Abraham. She walked away from God's covenant people. She fled, and still God watched after her. Now, what does it mean, brothers and sisters, for God to be the seeing God. That's how the ESV translates it. What does it mean that God sees you? I want for us to take a look today at the rest of the Bible, the rest of Scripture. And I want for us to take a look at what the rest of Scripture has to say about God being a seeing God. And from the rest of Scripture, I hope we're going to draw conclusions which really minister into our lives today. Firstly, we're going to look at a more general doctrine of what it means for God to be a seeing God. And then we're going to draw it down to a personal level. What does it mean that God sees you? I believe it's important whenever we come to a passage in Scripture... We need to understand that the best interpreter of that scripture is scripture. Amen. Any verse out of context becomes a pretext. Right? And so that's why when we read passages like this, we need to be looking at the rest of the Bible and saying, what is God saying to us about this? And through that, he'll unveil the meaning to us. Wonderful. I want also to note that uh, this, this idea of God being a seeing God, it infers something about God, doesn't it? If we say that David is a seeing man, what are we inferring about David? We're inferring that David has eyes, right? He has eyes that see. Does God have eyes? It's what we call... An anthropomorphism, that's a big word, it's an anthropomorphism because we read in the New Testament that God is what? In John 4, God is spirit, he's spirit, okay? So though Christ has a physical body, God doesn't, he's spirit. So him having eyes is us kind of superimposing human features and qualities onto the almighty God, isn't it? It's us trying to understand him through using human terms and that language is often used actually in the Old Testament. The Old Testament talks a lot about God being a seeing God, God being a hearing God, God feeling things, God walking, right? These are all what we call anthropomorphisms, using human terminology to try to describe the indescribable. How many of you understand that in all of eternity you're never going to be able to fully define and describe God? He escapes all description. Right? So we're just doing our best 
And the Holy Spirit chose to use these human words to help us today understand something about the indescribable. Amen? So, when we read in the Bible about God being a seeing God, what it's telling us in general, it's telling us something about the knowledge of God. It's telling us about what God knows. And so today we're talking at first about something called the doctrine of omniscience. Can you say omniscience? Another big word. Omniscience. That means all knowledge. Okay? He knows all things. In Hebrews 4.13 it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered. Everything is laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God sees, this verse says, he sees everything. Everything. All in creation. There is nothing in all of creation, not solar systems, not planets, not creatures, not a single atom in the whole cosmos that God doesn't see and see perfectly. Think of that. There's nothing hidden to God. No one can hide from the eyes of the Almighty. This is what we call the doctrine of omniscience. God's knowledge. He knows all things. He knows them perfectly. Nothing being hidden from God's sight means that he sees all and he knows all. All. That's what makes, in a sense, God, God. If you take away the quality of God knowing all things from him, and you say that he doesn't know all things, that we can hide certain things from him, that he doesn't know about the present or the past or the future, we're not talking about the God of the Bible anymore, do you see? God's knowledge, according to Scripture, is perfect. Now, we talk about know-it-alls, don't we? Right? This, is, this, this comment that we make about certain people is a know-it-all. Okay? People who love to showcase their knowledge at every available opportunity. We all know a know-it-all. Okay? I actually know one or two extraordinarily knowledgeable people who just seem to have this like inexhaustible data stock of facts and trivia in their brains. I remember when we first moved to Wolverhampton, we made friends with a, a bunch of people who used to do pub quizzes. And uh, some of these guys just had an ins like insane level of knowledge. In fact, they, they want the, the team that we joined on this pub quiz team thing ended up on Eggheads, you know the TV show? And they nearly won, like insane levels of knowledge. Um, just crazy. And there are people who have photographic memories. You know anyone with a photographic memory? Well, check this out. The, the world record for, you know the number pi, 3.14, da, 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 da. Some dude has memorized pi to the hundred thousandth decimal. Hundred thousandth. Think of, I mean, for me to count to a hundred thousand would just be too hard. This guy knows pi to the hundred thousandth decimal perfectly. And that's wild, isn't it? That's crazy. Some people are very, very 
knowledgeable. Some people are very clever in this world. But there isn't a human alive today or ever who is omniscient. There isn't a human today who knows everything, much as they'd like to claim that they do. Most humans don't even understand their own motives behind acting in certain ways. Some of the cleverest people in the world academically are often some of the most naive emotionally. Isn't that the case? And so, no human has omniscience. It's not a quality that is shared by anyone else other than God. All human knowledge is flawed, amen? It's incomplete. There are things that are just hidden from us. Like I've said, there's, there's motives in your hearts that I may not know. I don't understand. How many of you understand that it's better it's better to stay in ignorance sometimes about other people's motives, isn't it? The worst thing we can often do is pretend that we know somebody's motive for acting in a certain way. Well, they just blanked me. I know why it is. It's because I said that thing last week. They've, they've gotten offended about it. How petty. And we can make the mistake of jumping to that conclusion, pretending that we know, and then we treat that person differently. And actually it turned out, no, it wasn't to do with that. They had a bad morning. It was nothing to do with you. So there are some things that are just hidden from our knowledge. And it's best as Christians to just accept that. It's a difficult lesson to learn sometimes. But there are things in the world that we just don't know. Indeed, that we can't know. Nobody here is able to know exactly how creation looked at the first moment of inception. And I mean looked. What colors, right? What did it look like? We know how. We know some of how it looked. But we don't know physically. We don't have a memory in our minds of how that moment looked. Because we weren't there. So human knowledge is flawed. Although it's amazing. And we're made in the image of God. And we can know things. And sometimes know an extraordinary amount of things. Even that knowledge is flawed. And as I've said, if we, if we say that God doesn't know all things, then we're not talking about the Christian God anymore. We're talking about something else made in the image of man because this scripture talks about God's knowledge as being perfect. In Isaiah it says he's declared the end from the beginning. All things. The end from the beginning. He knows all things and all things perfectly. The past, the present, and the future. Now my memory of the present is getting really scary. <laughs> I think yesterday, I, it was the day before, I always say grace. I, say, I sat down. I, yeah, there we go. <laughs> I said grace over the food. I'm proving it to you now. And uh, I started, you know, I went to pick up my knife and fork. And then I went, oh, thank you, Jesus. And Bex was like, you just said that. I was like, oh, oh dear. So my knowledge of the present is hazy. But listen, yours might be exceptional. But listen, God's knowledge of the future is perfect. He knows what you're going to say to your friend tomorrow. Word for word. Right? God's knowledge 
of the future is better than your knowledge of what happened 10 seconds ago. And if we start talking about God not knowing certain things, we're not talking about the Christian God. Thomas Watson said, God's knowledge is infallible. That means it never fails. There's no mistake in his knowledge. Human knowledge is subject to error. A doctor may mistake the treatment of a disease, but God's knowledge is unerring, never makes a mistake in his knowledge. He never has to be corrected. He never has to change his mind about something. He never has to learn something new. His knowledge is without spot or blemish or error. Now, if God sees all things, everything, every atom, every star in the universe, guess what? He also sees you and I. He sees you. Let me prove this to you. Proverbs 5, 21. For your ways are in full view of the Lord. He examines all your paths. Job 31.4 Does he not see my ways and count my every step? Job 34.21 For his eyes are on the ways of a man and he sees all his steps. God sees you. God knows you in a way that nobody else can. Not even yourself. And we can know a lot about our stories, can't we? We can know a lot about our deepest feelings, our desires, our hopes and our fears. We can improve that knowledge by speaking to friends and family, can't we? It's one of the scariest things to do is to speak to somebody and say, listen, how do you experience me? <laughs> it's a scary question to ask. But if you've got people who love you and want the best for you, sometimes they can actually help you understand more about yourself. Areas where you've got blind spots. I just didn't realize that I came over like that. You know, sometimes I'll watch my sermons back. In fact, every week I will. And it's cringe to the max. Because there's always things you see, ways you put things across that you just feel like, oh, I didn't do that very well or could have done that better. Sometimes it helps, doesn't it, to reflect, to speak to other people. How do you experience me? Read back over the texts that you send. Whoa, how did that come over? So we can have knowledge about ourselves and how many of you understand it's good to have knowledge about yourself. Remember which philosopher it was that said the unexamined life isn't worth living? Plato? I don't remember. Was it? Socrates. But a good quote and very true. It's good to know thyself. Okay? But God knows you in a way that you never can. He knows you perfectly. And more than that, he understands you perfectly. He understands you. This is so key. You know, yesterday I was walking, I was walking the dog. I'm always walking the dog. I was walking the dog. I put up a green and, and I saw a couple, an older couple that I, I'd known when I was about seven or eight. 
and uh, I saw them sitting on a bench and I kind of looked over to them and I was just kind of sussing out whether they wanted to talk to me or not. You know, because so, I, I never forget a face. I'm dreadful with names, but I never forget a face. And so I looked over and I'm just like, do they want to speak to me or is this like weird for them? And I saw them kind of looking and, and like kind of just squinting at me and not really understanding who it was. So I kind of started walking over a bit more and, and again, just still squinting. And then I was like, hi, it's Graham. And they were like, oh, Graham. Oh, we thought it was you. We just couldn't quite recognize you. And she, she explained, she was like, got a cataract in this eye. And so I was looking and I was like, I just see it a bit hazy. And until you introduce yourself, I didn't know who you were. And so that there is a picture of our human knowledge, right? She didn't understand who I was because her sight was impeded, right? God's sight's not impeded. So he recognizes you and knows who you are perfectly never forgets you, understands not just what you look like, but your motives. He understands you in a way that you don't. He understands this because he sees you perfectly. Scripture says he doesn't just look at the physical appearance, he looks at the heart. Your past, your present, your future, they're all present to him. And Scripture says that he examines all your ways. He's not detached he knows the journey you've taken through life, amen? And it matters to him. It says he examines our paths. How good does it feel to be understood? How heartbreaking it is to be misunderstood, right? God understands you. He understands you. Isn't that wonderful? He counts every step that you take doesn't miss one. I just think that's incredible. Let me read Psalm 139, 1 to 16 to you. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle at the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say suddenly, sorry, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book 
before one of them came to be. Isn't that the story of a loving, kind God? That's your story. Every day, written in his book before there was one of them. God saw and knew you. I don't know all of you. Even in the way I should like to. I know facts about some of you. I know certain character traits and things that you enjoy, some of your hobbies. Some of you I know better than others. But God saw and knew you when no other human could. God, this says God knew you in the womb. He knew you in the womb. He knew when you did your first little weird twitch, like babies do in the womb. He knew when you sucked your thumb for the first time. He's got it written in a book. God saw you in your mother's womb and he remembers you. That's how much he loves and cares for you. This name of God, El Roi, it speaks to us, those who are God's children, those who trust in him. It speaks to us not just about God's knowledge, but about his love for us, about the concern that he takes for you. He sees you immediately and intimately. He sees you up close. Not dispassionately, right? But with concern. He sees your successes. Those things in your life that you remember and you celebrate, but maybe no one else does. Do you know those feelings sometimes when you really feel you've succeeded at something, but it's like nobody else is really that interested in what you succeeded at? (laughs) We've all had things like that, but God remembers them. You know, he's got a trophy cabinet in a sense for you. Those little mini victories that you have that you're super proud of. He celebrates with you. He sees. He loves. He sees our failures. He sees when we fall short. He sees us on our good days and he sees you on your bad days. And he has compassion upon us. That's what it means to be seen by God. It's to be known. It's to be understood. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So it's clear to us right now, I hope, that God doesn't miss a thing. He doesn't miss it. Not even the smallest details of your lives are insignificant to him. He sees them all. It should be A wonderful encouragement for us today. God sees you and loves you. Now that blows my mind. Because I see enough of me to struggle to love me. But God sees all of me and loves me still. What a good God he is, amen. God sees all of you and loves you. It's an encouragement. It's an encouragement for us to seek and to trust him more and more. But let me also say, as much as this teaching is an encouragement for you, as much as this teaching is an encouragement to know God who loves you and sees you, on the flip side of the coin, it's a warning. 
Because some people have gotten very good at concealing parts of their lives from others. Some people have got exceptionally good at only letting people see what they want them to see. In the world of psychology, it's called impression management. Impression management. People think that they can hide. They think they can hide parts of their lives from others. Only letting them what they, letting people see what they want them to see. The Bible has a, a phrase for this. It's called walking in the darkness. Walking in the darkness. But what did Psalm 139 say about darkness to God? There is no darkness to him. It's light. This should be a warning. John 3, 19 and 20 says, and this is the judgment, Jesus says. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest their works be exposed. To live in darkness, brothers and sisters, is, just, is a terrible thing. And it's a lie, because it's not true. We may be able to hide sinful lifestyles from other people. Some people are very good at that. In fact, we all know a very familiar story of somebody who was able to do this for decades. A man who was universally celebrated by nearly the entire nation. I grew up with him on our TV screens. Ran a show called Jim Will Fix It. We thought he was wonderful. Celebrated by the royal family. Everybody thought he was a national treasure. The man turned out to be one of the most wicked sex offenders in entire history of this nation. He had become very good at hiding his works in the darkness. Man, he claimed to be a Christian. There are many who claim to be Christians who are hiding but this whole thing, I want to say this, this whole idea of hiding from God is a lie. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Psalm 11.4 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of men. And Jeremiah 16, 7 says, My eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. This name of God, El Roi, as much as it is a blessing, and it is more a blessing than a warning, but it is also, I want to say this, it's, it's a warning to all who are trying to hide, who are trying to live two lives and front up like they're a Christian, but really they're living in sin. No matter how good you've gotten at hiding from people, you're not hiding from God. God sees it and sees it clearly. So we need to repent. I want to say this morning, if any of you feel that that's true for you, there's mercy right now. There's grace right now. Repent today. Turn 
from that hidden sin. Bring it out into the light. Anything brought out into the light is powerless. But that which we hold back in the darkness is able to have power over us, right? So this name is also an encouragement to say, listen, I'm going to stop hiding. I'm going to bring out into the light what needs to be brought into the light because it's not hidden from God. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how people see you, does it? Each person, the Bible says, is going to have to give an account to this seeing God. You're not going to have to stand before the prime minister. You're not going to have to stand before your friends. You're not going to have to be standing before your social media following to justify yourself. You're going to be standing before God, the one who sees all things. And so this name encourages us, listen, let's not try and hide. Let's not pretend like we can keep things from God. He sees it all. As I draw to a close now, I want to say this. When we look at this story of Hagar, you are the seeing God. You see me. What did it mean for God to see her? It meant that she was delivered. It meant she had deliverance. She had salvation from a life of wandering in the wilderness. A life of raising a fatherless child. God saved her out of that place and brought her into a place of blessing. In the Bible, whenever God sees something, whenever he sees injustice, whenever he sees his people being oppressed or mistreated, it inevitably means he's going to deliver them. He's going to save them from whatever it is they're going through. Exodus 3.7, right at the beginning of the Exodus story, God says to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. El Roi is the God who sees your suffering. He's the God who sees our afflictions as his people. And it matters to him. He is moved with compassion to save He's not aloof, he's not disinterested, but he's moved by our sufferings. He's the God that identifies with us in our pain, in our suffering, not just spiritually even, but even physically. God sees our trials up close and personal because he lived them, because he experienced them in Christ. Psalm 56, 8 says, You've kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in a bottle. Are they not in your book? He sees your hidden life, both the good and the bad. And I want to encourage you now. Listen to this. It's 2 Corinthians 2, 17. It says, We are not like the many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. God sees the hidden works that you do for his kingdom. The things that go unnoticed, unrewarded, by people, God sees them. The, the hours that you spend in prayer, the kind things that you do for other people, 
that you do anonymously. You get no glory for that from people, but God sees and rewards that which he sees in secret. We don't live, brothers and sisters, to be seen by this world. We don't live to get glory from this world. And let me say to you, as a Christian, you will always be misunderstood in this world. On a level, you'll always be misunderstood. We're not to live to be loved and praised and honored by this world. If it comes, we give glory to God. If it doesn't, we're not living for it anyway. The philosopher Seneca, he said, we ought to live as if always in full view of God. God sees you, and if he can see you, he can surely hear you. It's an encouragement to us, this name, to pray. Pray knowing that God is listening. He cares. It's important to him. Whatever you have to say, he's listening to you intently. He's not busy off with somebody else. He's God. He's with you every bit as much as if you were sat with him on your own in a room. You have God's attention when you pray. Isn't that wonderful? Secondly, let me say this to you. God understands you. Some of you have spent many years living in abusive relationships with friends or family where people have misunderstood you time and time and time and time again or put false motives on you when they weren't your true motives and it's damaging. God understands you. He loves you. You know, I think that just brings so much settling to your life to know that God understands you. Our eldest daughter, Phoebe, was really unsettled as a baby. She screamed and cried all the time. Like, it was just nonstop while she was awake. Screaming, crying. And we just, sometimes neither me or my wife could work out what was wrong. We fed you, we changed you, we're trying to, nothing would fix it. But you know what? As soon as she could make herself understood, as soon as she could use words to communicate with us, she settled right down. Like, it was like peace came over her. She knew that she was seen. She knew she was understood. She knew she could communicate with us, and we got it. God gets you. He gets you, and he likes you. In prayer, sometimes we need to remember that. He sees, he understands, he likes you. For some of you, this name of God is a double-edged sword. It's a warning that you can't hide from him. No matter how successful you've gotten at hiding certain bits of your life from, from people, even brothers and sisters in this church, you can't hide from him. And so it's an encouragement to bring it into the light. He loves you. He doesn't want you to live in darkness. He wants you to bring that into the light. It's a time to confess. To confess, to bring those things before him and say, Lord, I'm stopping that. Speak to a brother or sister in Christ. I'm going to invite ministry teams to just come up. We've got a new little prayer corner here. So I'm just going to invite Ruth, if you could come. Um, and Darren, if you wouldn't mind coming and just popping on a badge and praying for anybody if they want to come. Thank you. Um, and if there are any other leaders that are up for praying for people, there's little lanyards there. In a moment, we can just ask for people to come forward if they want prayer. But it's knowing that God sees you. 
And it's time to just bring those things into the light. For others, it's understanding that God sees you in your affliction. Some of you maybe have got things you've been going through on the quiet. Things you've been walking through that are extremely painful. And it feels like nobody understands. God sees it. And there's a release in that. Sometimes we just need to be ministered to in that place. Knowing that God sees and wants to deliver us from those afflictions. Finally, it's understanding that the ultimate affliction in our lives is the bondage to sin. The ultimate affliction in our lives is the affliction of sin. And God sees our need there too. Amen. He's provided a way for us to be free from the affliction of sin. Maybe you're like Hagar. Maybe you've walked out into the wilderness, out into the world. You've left the church. Maybe you've been actually abused or uh, mistreated by the church. And you've decided to go out and you're in the wilderness. Well, God comes to you. Christ comes to you in that place. He's called the good shepherd. He's the one who goes after the one and leaves the 99. The only way that we see Hagar could enter into those promises was by being obedient to Christ's words there. Return. And some of you today, the Lord is calling you, return. Come back to me. Come back to me. Psalm 95 says, if you, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So I want to invite you all to stand. If any of those things speak to you today, if you'd like prayer, for any of the things I've mentioned, if you want to just take a moment to bring some stuff into the light, or maybe if you just need to ask prayer for deliverance from a particular affliction, something that's been damaging, whether it's a sickness, whether it's a, a broken relationship, whether it's a need something that you've been praying for that you've not seen breakthrough in, God sees it. And I'm going to ask the ministry team to stand. If you'd like prayer for any of those things, please do go and get prayer. Um, I'm going to ask you to stand right now as well. If I could have the worship team back up. So if any of those things resonate, please do just go and uh, receive prayer from, from Ruth, from, from Darren, and take some time. Let's pray and then, and then we sing together. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of seeing. God, we thank you that you're a God who sees us entirely. Every single part and you love us just the same. And so Lord, we choose not to try and hide from you anymore. Not to try and pretend. But to just trust you that we can bring everything into the light before you and still be loved and still be accepted and still be known. We pray, Holy Spirit, you would come and touch right now every heart in this place and fill afresh with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.